Hey everyone, this is Alina with the Real Talk Podcast. This is episode two, and I'm be joined every Friday by Ali Devaki, the CEO of Realware, to discuss what's really important in business and tech news. If you're looking to start or scale a business, this is the podcast for you. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hey Ali, how are you doing today? I'm good, Alina. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm interested in today's talk because we're going to be discussing cybersecurity and learning more about how to deal with that in small businesses, and I don't know much about it. So, You and everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I've been it's, reading up on it, and topic. I think... Yeah, and I think the first thing that I really want to dive deeper into is what cybersecurity really is, what cyber means. Sure. So I think that the term cybersecurity is a little loaded because, you know, they kind of couch it in everything. They couch it in um, technology and in any kind of any kind of position around data, essentially. So securing your data is the way I would define it especially for smaller, mid-sized companies. It's gonna be, how do you protect your critical data infrastructure, meaning your systems, your network, your people using those systems from a bad actor? Um, and it doesn't have to be an external actor. It could be an internal person, right? A disgruntled employee or uh, someone who's been manipulated who doesn't even know they've been manipulated. So how do you manage data protection from the outside in how do you manage data protection from the inside out mm -hmm. and ultimately I think the most important thing about cyber for small and mid-sized businesses is to think about how they would recover from an event you know okay. what's what's the strategy to come back from any kind of an event so it could be a data exfiltration meaning some data was leaked that shouldn't have been it could be ransomware it could be um, uh, malware in general, you know, viruses again, you know, there's all these things that can cause a problem. Um, I think people are much more vigilant these days, but yeah, I think that the general idea of cyber is how do I protect my business data? Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> so that all makes sense. So in asking the question you basically just asked, how would you suggest new business owners or small business owners prevent a breach? in their security? So that's always a good question. You know, how do I prevent this? How do I prevent that? It's, the, it's kind of the way we think as human beings, you mm -hmm. know, as this survival mechanism. We buy insurance um, because we don't know we can prevent everything, right? So, you know, we buy home insurance, we buy car insurance, we buy business insurance because we know that you can't prevent everything. So one of the things I would consider would be um, data protection or cyber insurance to ensure that you have your business covered in case something does happen. Mm -hmm. um, of course, nobody likes to hear insurance because you know it's one of those things that you're kind of betting against yourself. But mm -hmm. I would recommend it. It's not that expensive. To, you know, it's really tied to the size of the business, and I recommend you do that. But ultimately. You need to take a catalog of all the items that you're trying to protect, just like you would if you were trying to do home insurance or something else, right? Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. Let me turn that off. So look at your business. Look at your systems. Maybe you only have one computer. Maybe you have lots of computers. Maybe you have a network. You know, maybe and, – and try to figure out how long will it take if I lost all of that? Regardless of whether it was due to cyber or not, 
right? Whether it was a hacker or not. How long would it take for me to get back up and running? I think a lot of businesses are focused on the sensational, which is hackers. Uh, there's lots of other things that can cause a problem in your business. You could lose a system that has all your critical data. Do you have a backup plan? Uh, are you backing up your data? Have you tested that backup plan? Mm -hmm. What's your disaster recovery plan? You know, what happens if you can't get in your office and all your computers are in your office? You know, with what's been happening, what we just all lived through, um, you know, what happens if people can't come to, the, come to work? You know, these are all parts of a comprehensive program that cyber defense or cyber management has got to be part of. If you don't know how to bring yourself back from any kind of disaster, then you're certainly not prepared to manage cyber. And the other side of this is that the biggest companies in the world are spending tens and hundreds of millions of dollars to manage cyber defense, and you still hear them getting compromised. So the idea that I want everyone to take away from this podcast, and if you listen to me or you know talk in my talks in general, recovery is the most important. Define your recovery. So understand your risk. Define your recovery plan. And then once you've done those two things, you can put a dollar amount on that risk. You can put a dollar amount on that recovery plan. And then you can start to decide how you go about preventing and managing. I, I say prevent is not a great word. Managing your cyber risk, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and pr providing the protection that makes sense financially for your business. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So start from the worst case scenario and build back from there. Okay. Right, because that worst case can happen for – doesn't have to be cyber, right? Mm -hmm. That worst case scenario is total loss of access. How do I recover from that? Right? Yeah. You know, there could be, God forbid, there could be floods or tornadoes or loss of power. You know, some, something simple as just imagine losing power. I guess the – you know, if you think about what happened in Texas this year, they didn't expect to lose power and water and all those things in the winter time. Yeah. How many of those companies were not properly prepared to recover from that? I'm Ma sure almost many. all of them. Yeah. I mean, even the electrical company wasn't prepared. Nope. Because they never ran through the worst case scenario. Yeah. Very true. Okay. So after I did some research, I've been hearing a few myths that come with cybersecurity. And when people don't know a lot about it, they get a little bit confused. The biggest one I was seeing is that small businesses or the size of a business makes someone feel safer. So for example, if it's a big, large company, they need protection because they have more data, more information, more money. And so a small business feels like they aren't at risk or less at risk than their larger counterpart. Is that something that you think is true or untrue well I think it's true to some degree mm -hmm. there's two kinds of if you want to break the hacker world into two kinds of buckets mm -hmm. we'll say organized and unorganized organized crime has infrastructure like a business I mean they have they have quote unquote employees they have people they need to pay they have costs so they're not going to go typically after the small potatoes right they're going to go after the big hits because that's where they can make their money now the other thing about the big guys and the organized attacks is sometimes the actual attack is just a distraction from what they're trying to actually do 
So they may want to infect a network with malware or infect it with ransomware uh, or virus or to fit, you know, because they're actually trying to get to the customer data or the banking data or the intellectual property within that organization. So they can then use that and sell that for the real hit, for the real benefit. On the, on the unorganized or, you know, let's say individual hacker side, they don't care about your data. They're not really trying to get your data. They're trying to extract um, a fee. So that's where ransomware and malware that creates crypto locker or ransoms is profitable for them because that costs them nothing to run it across hundreds of thousands of computers via in, in, you know IP addresses and accessible via the internet. And all they have to do is compromise 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 10,000 computers and ask for two or three thousand dollars per computer and now they're made millions of dollars and so you get caught it's it's like imagine it's it's interesting we use these um analogies in security you know spear phishing is what the organized guys do they're targeting a specific organization it's very focused they write emails they'll do something they'll target specific people they know what their you know the social engineering part of it they invest a lot of money in doing that and targeting those people to create that hole in the network. And then you have a dragnet, right? The, the, the bulk fishing, where they'll just drop a net in the ocean and they'll grab whatever they can. That's, that's what the unorganized guys are doing. That's what the solo guys are doing. Mm -hmm. Because they can sit at their computer literally and just type in some script commands as long as they're in a jurisdiction that doesn't enforce you know, these laws. And they can try to compromise tens of thousands of computers without, without any recourse. And then, of course, you have Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, which provide some anonymity for that, right? They can kind of get away with those funds in some cases. But, yeah, you're not safe just because you're small. Um, the odds are less likely, um, especially if you're using you know, systems that are not all exposed to the Internet. But I would say you need to pay attention. Again, risk management. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. make sure you're understanding your risk, whether you're a small business, a medium business, or an enterprise. You have to quantify that risk. You might decide, hey, I'm, uh, I'm using a point-of-sale system. I have one store on Main Street, and if this computer were to stop working, I could use a calculator and a cash box. So what's your risk? Basically nothing. Okay. Right? You could, If you were to get hit with ransomware... And, the, and you're being asked to pay whatever to unlock your computer, you could decide, you know what? I don't need this, right? I can just throw it away and buy a new one. Or um, I'm backing up my customer data because that would be the most important thing you have on there, right? Your customer data, you know, whatever you might be storing. I'm safe. I've got my customer data. I can just buy, you know, wipe this machine and start all over again. That's one computer. So that's, the, that's one scenario. Another scenario in small businesses, a lot of them are using iPads, right, to do like a square device or a Stripe device or, you know, those things are going to be less likely uh, because they have a tighter security envelope than, than a typical, you know, desktop environment has. I will tell you, just because you're using, if there's a, there is another myth, I don't know if you were going to get this, but there's another myth that Windows is more vulnerable than Mac or Linux. That's not true. That is an absolute myth. No matter what kind of desktop operating system you're using, you're at risk if, um, you know, if you're not protecting yourself. 
Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I had I hadn't gotten into that one yet, but I'm sure it would have come up because I know for a fact you know that comes up with Apple phones, for example. But I hadn't heard from like Mac and Windows and Linux and all of those. So that's interesting. So another myth that I've been hearing is that people think if they have antivirus software in a firewall, then they're good to go. They don't have to get anything else. They don't have to worry. They're safe. They're safer. Yeah. You know, the, if you reduce it. So this is what's called reducing your surface of, surface of attack. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there's a pretty good strategy called defense in depth. So what you do is... You protect all the you protect all the tiers. Like if you imagine concentric circles, starting from you, and then your computer, and then your network, and then your internet service. If you're protecting each of those tiers, you're making it more difficult to be a victim. Um, so you notice how I started the tier, the circle with you yourself, mm-hmm. because a lot of the compromises that occur today are people who click on links and emails that are that are fabricated to fool them into doing that right so i think you know one of the things you really have to focus on is the human aspect of security i think a lot of again a lot of people focus on oh i'll buy a firewall i'll buy an i you know intrusion detection system i'll buy antivirus i'll buy you know malware detection i'll buy all these tools right i have this huge toolbox but i won't train my people right I won't teach them about phishing. I won't teach them about spear phishing. I won't teach them about, you know, not clicking on email links and emails. I won't change my email platform so that it tells me when an email is external. I won't increase my spam filtering and my vir- and my uh, threat detection and my threat intelligence. Um, this is all available to small businesses as well. So, for example, mm-hmm. you can get a much, you know, if you're buying your email, if you're getting your email from a typical hosting provider, you're probably more at risk than if you're not probably you're definitely more at risk than if you were getting your email from Microsoft or Google right if you were using G Suite or Office 365 they have protections built in they're using threat intelligence all the time they're monitoring the internet in real time they're looking in threats and so they're helping protect you from those things now I'll tell you in our in our experience I still get between five and ten phishing messages a day I can only imagine what I would be getting if we weren't using an, uh, you know, an enterprise email provider. Yeah. So you have to train the people. That's where it all starts at the core because an email message is going to get through your firewall. An email message is going to get through your your intrusion protection. An email message isn't going to trigger viruses any virus checks anymore. They're not using viruses like that anymore. Their your your email is not going to trigger malware typically. Those are all going to get caught. It's going to be a link that you're going to click that's going to go to a site that's designed to specifically compromise your machine. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that link doesn't even load a real page. It just loads something that – a payload that's designed to compromise that machine. Mm, okay. So so you have the email coming in. Um, you know, Maybe an analogy is you have uh, someone in a three-piece suit from the front that's knocking on your door. But <laughs> – Behind that three-piece suit is, you know, a barbarian, <laughs> right, who's trying to take all your stuff. Yeah. But you can't see that until they get in the building. Okay. So you let them in, and now you need other protection, right? Maybe it is anti-malware. Maybe it is antivirus embedded in your browser. You know, that's another thing I think you should make sure that 
you know, you there are tools you can use. Like, you know, you can change the way you use your domain name services, you know, your lookups. You know, we can get super technical here, but I don't think we should. You know, there's lots of strategies that you can put in that cost very little. And we're happy to help anybody with those things. And maybe we should do some blog posts on it so people can be self-service. Like you can buy, you know, a Raspberry Pi for $35 and spend a couple hours setting this up. And now you, you can manage these lists and make sure that those links can't get to where they need to go, mm -hmm. right? So you're protecting yourself after the click. Um, so anyway, lot, I, you know, I kind of went on a tangent there for a second, but I think that the idea is the human needs to be trained. Like you need to be vigilant. Every yeah. email you look at, if you weren't expecting that email, you have to assume it's not good. And then you don't want to click on any links unless you look at the links. And, okay. and my feeling is when in doubt, delete. <laughs> don't even look at the email if you have if your if your spidey sense is even for a little bit saying hmm you trust your intuition right pick up the phone like if you get like this is a big thing ACH fraud they send an email saying we're a vendor we're going to shut you off it makes they make it look like it's coming from your CEO or your CFO and they make they're telling you to wire money somewhere you don't know how many people fall for that wow. pick up the phone and call the person who you who, who supposedly sent the email. Mm -hmm. Or, for example, what we've done is we have multiple approvals required for any funds leaving our accounts. So no single person, not even me as the CEO and founder, can send a wire or ACH for even a dollar without multiple approvals. Right? So those are the kinds of things you can do to protect yourself if you just take a little bit of time and say, okay, what are my risks? Right? Where, where, where are my problems? Like if I lost my whole bank account, could I recover? Yeah. Probably not. So you want to put those controls in place. You want to work with a bank that allows you to put those controls in place. Okay. You know, these are all the things that I say, you know, this is defense in depth, right? So that's the way you look at that and make sure that you're protected. Okay. Yeah, and you've touched on it a little bit about the employees and having to train them as well. That was another question I was going to ask you. Um, I read somewhere mm -hmm. that it's about 60% of the time it's employee error or human error, and that's why a breach occurred. So do you have any tips or specific things that they should really focus on when training employees or when teaching people what to look out for? Is there like a top two or three things that everyone should really know? No, I wish there was like a one through 10. Yeah. Um, I, I would recommend that depending on the type of worker, so you have tech workers and you have non-tech workers, right? So you have people that, again, this goes into, are you a bigger business or not, right? Mm -hmm. If you're big enough to have a provider um, or to have your own tech people, you know, just make sure that you're, you're using, you know, what we call the four eyes principle, no, you know, any critical change, two people should review, right? No, you should never be reliant on one person. Not because people aren't competent, but because everybody makes mistakes. Mm -hmm. Everybody makes mistakes. So I don't, you know, even again, in our organization, when I make a change, there's another person validating that I've made the change properly. So you can't, you can't be beyond that, right? You can't be beyond, if you really care, security and risk management is about dotting the I's and crossing the T's. That's really all it's about. You can only do your best effort. And the best effort is always making sure that you're double checking the work. Um, on the human, on the non-technical side, 
you know, there are there are companies out there that'll send like fake phishing emails to see if your people. So they'll test your people. There are training courses that are available. I highly recommend those. Um, it's just an awareness thing and regular awareness. You know, mm-hmm. even sending out a you know a note every so often. Um, hey, don't forget to be vigilant about emails. Or you know, hey, you're you, maybe you're seeing more. Like I will occasionally send out notes to our people saying, hey, I'm seeing a lot more phishing emails lately. Please be extra aware, right? Um, as a technology provider, we have a training program, we have a compliance manual, we have a policy manual, you know, but that takes a lot to develop mm-hmm. and manage. So again, understand your risk, understand what it takes to recover from those, right? And then decide where the best um, investment is. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a lot. It has a lot of layers from what I've been reading and looking at. There's... <clears throat> There's so many different ways and so many different things that people do. There's, it's not linear at all. It's really crazy. Um, so I think another question that I've had based on the situation we've been going through the past, couple, the past year um, with a lot of people shifting to remote work is does that make it easier for these cyber attacks to happen because – you know, a lot of data is in the cloud or does the cloud have something to do with it? It's like a loaded question, I know. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I would think the cloud helps a little bit. Okay. Uh, because by putting the data in the cloud and not storing all your data on remote computers, there's less, um, there's a little bit of less surface area because now you're storing the data in servers that are not that are that are secured by default. You know, you mm-hmm. have to assume that these providers don't want to have um, a breach. Now, you do have to understand your service level agreements because you know free services compared to paid services have completely different service level agreements. So if you're using free Google, they have really no responsibility. You know, it's not they don't come right out and say that. But ultimately, we've heard, you know, we've all heard of the outages that they may have had. Now, again, nobody's perfect, not even Google or Amazon or any of these companies are mistakes happen. So you have to have a backup strategy. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the biggest risk with remote work is if you are not in a position to provide um, endpoint management, meaning the tools that can go on that computer that is being now used to protect it and manage it and to control your data. Yeah, of course you're at more risk than, than what you would be if you were all in one place using your corporate machines, if they are protected properly. So it changes the investment profile. You know, when you look at um, in the beginning, I'm sure a lot of people went were told, go home and work, and were not provided with equipment. So they were using their home computer, which who knows what's on that computer. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff on the Internet. The Internet's not a very friendly place to from a data security perspective. Um, another strategy that hackers will use is they will compromise tens of hundreds or thousands of websites without their owners even knowing. I mean, just think about all the vulnerabilities that are in like standard tool sets like WordPress and Drupal and Magento and all these different things. They just write a script that goes out and tries to find these websites and just compromises them. So you're going to a person's website. You think you know who they are. Or they, they look legitimate. And somewhere in that website, there's a payload that's going to infect your computer. Now you're shopping or doing whatever, you don't even realize it. And then all of a sudden your data is compromised. And now your corporate data is compromised because you're mixing personal and business. Um, Again, what we did, 
um, was we were primarily remote anyway, so we've always had these agents and things that manage these remote machines, and we do backup of our remote machines, and we're constantly managing that environment. But it's really not that expensive, if you think about it, to put a proper backup strategy with versioning in place to ensure that you know if something were to happen, you can always roll back to a prior you know, version of that file and, and get yourself back up and running again. But yeah, working remote in general has more risk. Working remote without planning for it definitely has more risk. Yeah. So the basis of keeping yourself protected or responding after the fact is just make sure you plan, plan, plan <laughs> for everything. As much right. as possible, obviously. Inventory, then plan. plan. Everything. Yes. Yeah. Okay, awesome. I mean, I think I've definitely learned a lot from this discussion. Cybersecurity is crazy. I can't believe it's such a broad topic and it's it basically encases everything you do online, no matter what, which is insane. Oh, I did have one more question about um, phone use. So I was reading that sometimes like an employee can come in and something will be on their cellular device and they come into work and it somehow connects mm -hmm. with their work device. I'm not sure how that works or if you've had experience Right, so that's with that. so just think about the mobile device as a bridge, right? So it has two radios in it. It has a cellular radio and a Wi-Fi radio, right? Okay. And if you provide unprotected Wi-Fi access to your main network in your office, then that means that someone could get malware or a malicious counterfeit application on their phone and all it's waiting for is for you to go to work. It sees that, okay, I'm only on cellular. It sits dormant. Then it sees, oh, I got a Wi-Fi connection. Uh, Let me start scanning and see if I can compromise some of the machines in there. Oh, jeez. Right? Because remember, phones today are computers that yeah. make phone calls. Yeah. That's all they are. They're not. It's not the other way around. They're not phones that have compute. They're compute that make phone calls. Mm -hmm. And so there's an immense amount of power in these devices. Um, so if you install a counterfeit, and by the way, you're not really safe. You know, there's, they found counterfeit apps. They found thousands of counterfeit apps on iOS. Of course, Android, because you can sideload, has a little bit more risk for that. So what I would recommend in that case is for your, for your um, you know, it's called bring your own device. Or, you know, if you want some protection against um, mobile devices, is set up a separate network for your employees. So if, they, if you want to give them Wi-Fi or don't allow Wi-Fi access for mobile devices that you don't control. If there's no endpoint agent controlling that device, just don't allow it. Okay. That's the easiest way um, to protect your, your internal network. Again, remember, this is for someone who has you know more than just a one computer, right? It's like you have lots of employees and you need to manage mm -hmm. all those devices walking into your environment. Um, you know, most Wi-Fi gear will let you filter what can connect. So you do have the capability. It doesn't cost extra. You take an inventory again. Here we go back to inventory, right? You take mm -hmm. an inventory of everything. You document those ad addresses for the hardware you want to allow on the network, and you only allow that. And so you have a little bit of a headache the next time you add a device. You have to remember to add it to that list. But it's far better than letting just anyone come into your environment and connect. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, thank you so much for giving us some more information about cybersecurity and all of the nuances that come along with it. Um, if 
y'all want to hear more from Ali, from his point of view. He has some podcasts that he's made guest appearances on, so I'll leave those links down in the description below. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, our website, realware.com, all of which will be linked in the description below. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for chatting today, Ali. Thanks, Alina.